Hello and welcome to another episode of Sexual Confidence on Tap with Shannon Etheridge and friends. Michelle Woods has the week off and this week I am having a conversation with an old friend, Dr. James Reeves, who I'm going to let James tell you a little bit about his biography himself. But first I'm going to tell you how I encountered this amazing pastor. I was invited to speak at his church probably 10 years ago. And I distinctly remember I was speaking to the high school and college age um, group. And as I was unpacking my story of the sexual abuse, the promiscuity, uh, the poor choices that I made as a result of that era of my life, etc., I just remember thinking, they don't seem phased by my story, whereas most high school and college groups kind of had the deer in the headlights look the whole time. And so afterwards, I made the comment to Dr. Reeves that your group seems to be exceptionally mature in how they handled all that I put out there. And he explained to me, he said, Shannon, I should probably let you know we are not your typical church. He said, on any given Sunday, you can reach out your arms in any direction and touch any number of homeless people, addicted people, uh, that his church was not a country club for saints. His church was a hospital for sinners and addicts. And I remember walking away from there being so grateful for my experience in this church community because I walked away thinking that is what church should be about. So on today's episode, we are going to be talking with Dr. James Reeves about emotional and spiritual ceilings, hospitals and other places of refuge, and sex lies and videotape. So <laughs> Dr. Reeves, thank you so much for making the time to do this podcast with me because uh, it's kind of by accident that we're even sitting here having this conversation. Yes, it is. <laughs> so um, you and I were scheduled to do a, a videotape series for a project that you were working on. Tell us more about that project. And thank you for coming all the way to Kentucky to do the videotaping so that I didn't yes. have to get on an airplane That's to fly right. to DFW in a time when this coronavirus is going crazy. Well, it was a nine hundred mile one-way drive and uh, it was well, well worth the drive. It's interesting that when I met you, Shannon, I remember you asking me if I had this information about what our church does written down anywhere. Mm -hmm. And I said that I did. I had been writing some things down for people who would come into our church, new members, or wanting to know, well, what is this ministry? What's it look like? What's the biblical basis for it? What are the principles? And, and I said, yeah, I've got it written down. And, and I remember you asking to read that. And so I gave it to you, and, and, and when you left, I think it was about three or four days later, you called me and said, James, this needs to be a book. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, I wasn't really trying to write a book. This was more of a manual. And she said, but this is something that needs to be out there. And uh, lo and behold, uh, she asked my permission to give my name to a literary agent that she knew, and I, I thought, wow, okay, go ahead. And one thing led to another, and my first book, Refuge, was published, which basically is the story of the hospital church. It talks about the principles that um, are in place for the church to actually not just talk about being a hospital, but actually doing hospital kind of work of help, hope, and healing with people of all socioeconomic uh, tax brackets. Uh, mm -hmm. We say woundedness and, and hurt knows no tax bracket. And mm -hmm. so, yes, we do have people that 
are barely making it, but we also have doctors and lawyers, we have attorneys, we have people that are professionals, we have multimillionaire business owners who are wounded in life and it's hindering them in some area of their life. So it, our church really covers the, the age and economic and educational background. But after Refuge was published, I began to get opportunities to speak in churches about this and do uh, what I call a safe place, safe process workshop. That the church has to be a safe place for people to tell their secrets. Because as we know, secrets make us sick. The church has to have a safe process for people to experience emotional and spiritual maturity in Christ. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I talk about. The church being a safe place or people won't tell their secrets. But if they do tell their secrets, the church has to have a strategy to help them move beyond that and move into emotional and spiritual healing. And one of the things I discovered all over the country as I do workshops in all different types of churches in all the different states is that many churches nowadays are ministering to men in the area of sexual integrity. I think the Conquer series for men has been very important in that. It's gotten the conversation started for men, Christian men who are dealing, struggling with pornography, and it's become an obsessive behavior in their life. And, and the, so the Conquer series has given a tool for men to start. But churches, everywhere I would go, I'll ask the question, what are you doing for women who are survivors of sexual abuse? Mm -hmm. And I can honestly say in the 10 years that I've been doing workshops in churches, I've not had one church tell me that they had a ministry strategy to help women who are survivors of sexual abuse heal. Don't I know it. And so frustrating. <laughs> yeah. So frustrating. And, and, I, and, and I, I don't mean to laugh, but sometimes you have to laugh to keep from crying yeah. because it is a crying shame that churches assume that only men have sexually addictive behavioral problems. Right, right. Or only men uh, need time and attention and focus on sexual healing because there are so many women who are actually, I think that oftentimes men are stumbling into sexual sin because of a woman luring him there, that women have become quite predatory and dangerous mm -hmm. themselves because Sometimes. of the brokenness that they have in their own life. And the church being so hesitant to address mm -hmm. those issues with women makes me very sad and angry. And what, what churches don't understand, and I think people in general don't understand, that often a woman who is a survivor of sexual abuse will wind up with a man who is a sexual abuser in the sense that he does have a pornography addiction mm. and often wants to even act that out with a, a woman. So there seems to be almost this fly in the ointment kind of relationship sometimes. Yeah. Um, I call it the pathological pull, mm -hmm. that the sickness in me is drawn to the sickness in you, and you put, our, you put our two sicknesses together, you really have a blazing fire. And then it's two ticks and no dogs. Exactly. <laughs> two ticks and no dogs. Sucking dog. the That's life exactly out of each right. other. Mm -hmm. So it was just very frustrating to me that there was not a tool within the Christian community for, in churches for women to start the discussion because I understood, because we have been ministering in the area of survivor sexual uh, women who are survivors of sexual abuse for over 20 years. Mm -hmm. I have a woman on my staff that that is her entire job is working. If every church had that vision. <laughs> and, and she coordinates groups. She works with women. Uh, we do post-abortion types of groups. We, uh, we do uh, physical abuse. But, but one of the key areas is in this area is helping women to tell their story for the first time. Christian women who have survivors of sexual abuse and never told anyone. Mm. And it is affecting them in so many ways. 
And so the Conquer series was a tool to get the conversation started for men in the church, but the women didn't have a tool. And I was grousing about that one day with a couple of the pastors on my staff, that there needs to be a video series about sexual abuse of women for the church to get the conversation started like Conquer series, and it hasn't been done. And they said, well, James, why don't you do it? <laughs> and I can't think of a more perfect individual to tackle that monumental task. Well, it, it was not in my wheelhouse. I can guarantee you that. I'm, I'm somewhat of a theological academic. My undergraduate degree in Baylor was ancient Greek. I have a master's and, and doctorate in theology. I've been preaching and teaching for 45 years, but I don't know anything about filmmaking. I mean, it was <laughs> foreign to me. But I knew the subject as much as a man can know it. Right. Because we've been doing that work for 20 years in our church, helping women heal. Mm -hmm. from sexual abuse. And so I knew the things we needed to do. So I said, by darn, I'm going to do it. We had an elders meeting the next Monday night and I went into my elder body and I said, guys, I've, I've been here 36 years now. So I've got some tenure. We started the church in 1984. I said, guys, I need to do a video series about the sexual abuse of women to get this conversation started. And I said, I need a $50,000 budget. And I was just pulling a number out of the air. I had no idea what it was going to cost. Yeah. And within five minutes, they granted it. Wow. And because half of my older body are recovering men, mm -hmm. that it's, it's in the DNA of our church. And they're aware of the women in our church who have experienced real, real healing in this area. And so we got started. God provided a young filmmaker who's a part of my church, my wife, is a commercial actress. She directed it. And we just, and I had some contacts like with you, mm -hmm. Shannon. I remember you blowing up my phone yeah. as you were brainstorming, like you Absolutely. were a man on fire. Absolutely. You had a mission and you were not going to stop short of achieving it. And I'm, I'm so honored to be invited to be a part of the video series. And so what is, yeah, I promised that we were going to talk about sex lies and videotape. <laughs> what is the lie? Why has the church never approached this topic so full force before. Why do women not come forward and share their story? Why, why do they not feel as if they can be honest about what's happened to them? Well, I, I think there are a number of reasons and I've, I've discovered more of them as I've been interviewing women all over the country, many of them uh, who are professionals like yourself in the area of helping other women who also have a story of abuse. Some of them were counselors, doctors, medical doctors. I've discovered that, that one of the things is that has been a hindrance is that by far and large, the leadership in churches is male. And you will have maybe a woman on staff who's a, a children's pastor or whatever, um, or you might even have a woman whose title is women's ministry, but that may just really refer to women get-togethers, um, maybe women Bible study but not delving into the, the real woundedness that women are carrying in this area that most women kind of intuitively know it's there, but nobody wants to talk about it. Mm -hmm. and, and so there's just not anybody in the, in the senior leadership, typically in church, that really is willing to be the tip of the spear yeah. and stand up and say, this cannot go on anymore. We have to minister in this area because it is a plague in the church mm -hmm. and in our culture. And I, as many 
problems as there's been with the hashtag MeToo movement, one of the great things that has come out of it is it has started our culture talking about this. Yes. And that provides an opportunity for the church to lead out and be the tip of the spear in, in real healing in a caring environment. But there's not been a tool. And so I'm, my prayer is that the Fearless Series for Women is going to provide that tool for women to begin to talk about the subject and then those that need to, to move into further healing. But I think an, another thing that we struggle against, and even though this is 2020, there within the Christian community is still this kind of Victorian reluctance mm. to admit how we all got our children. <laughs> you yeah. know, I mean, we kind of all know what happened, but we just really, it just didn't okay to talk about it, Yeah, you know? And, and so because of that, to, to start talking about sex in general, but then to talk about something as dark and as hurtful as someone abusing a little girl mm -hmm. or a young woman in that kind of way, it's just something in the church, it's just so, we just don't want to talk about it. Right, that's, that's what I was going to say is that the lie is the church is not a place where we need to have those conversations. That's my challenge lie. back is why, why is the church not where we're having these conversations? What better place? Exactly, exactly. I think that God definitely wants to see healing take place in the church. It's just far better equipped than any other institution or organization. What, what else is there? Well, here's what I say to people. They say, well, what equips the church to do this kind of work? I say, okay, well, we have the Bible, which is God's perfect word. His truth, all truth is God's truth. We have the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit within us as believers, and we have the community of faith. We have all of the tools that we need for help, hope, and healing. Yeah. We just have to direct them in this direction and see that God's truth is a healing truth. Right. And there's power in community of supporting one another. And there needs to be healing in this there has to be. regard. Churches should be a hospital for hurting women and hurting men. Mm -hmm. This is this is not about uh, this is about leveling the playing field. Absolutely. In the same way that men have needed attention on sexual healing, women need attention on sexual healing. The church should be that place of refuge. And Shannon, let me say, there's another lie. I was going to say, there's another lie. There is so another we'll, lie we'll that as a pastor of 45 years, I was saved right off the streets at the age of 18, right out of the 60s, uh -huh. had done it all, wasn't raised in church, but I immediately went into ministry in, in my education. And I've been actually a senior pastor for about 40 years, but I was on church staffs before that. And, and th there's another lie in the evangelical church, okay? And that's, that's my background, the evangelical church. And, and it is this, that if you just love Jesus enough, mm -hmm. your life's going to be okay. <laughs> and, and I bought into that. Yeah. And I was a wounded person who didn't know it, and it nearly killed me in my mid-30s. Because I had kind of gotten that idea, if you're hurting, you just need to pray more, give more, study more, serve more. You just need to love Jesus more. And so I... I loved Jesus. He had saved my life. My dad died of alcoholism at the age of 41. I was 18. I buried my dad. I mean, that's what he saved me from. I loved wow. Jesus. And in my mid-30s, I nearly killed myself hmm. because of emotional woundedness from childhood of abandonment and all of the things. And I didn't even know it was there. But the message I had gotten was, I just need to love Jesus more. 
And so I, this is what I was working on, just loving Jesus, more prayer, more meditation. I was getting up at three o'clock in the morning on my face before God delivered me from this wounded, from this pain. Mm. And I didn't really know it came from woundedness. I just knew I was miserable. Mm. And I was already pastoring this church, had already started this church, Yeah, had two young children. And I, after through a whole series of events, when I really did begin to unpack, people say, well, James, how did you start the healing process? I got an old drunk, an old drunk in my church mm-hmm. who had retired from General Motors at the age of 58, checked into t- rehab. He was a drunk. He was a sex addict. But six months after he got out of rehab, he got saved. He walked into our church one Sunday morning. And I watched him practicing those 12 steps. Mm-hmm. And I watched him change. And I watched him go back and experience forgiveness with his family and his daughters and his previous wives that he had acted out on and all those. And I watched him. And, and one day I said, his name was Chuck. I said, Chuck, Will you help me? Mm. And I was his pastor. I had this earned doctorate. And he's just this old drunk, you know, recovering drunk. And he kind of grinned. He said, shit. Because I knew I could tell him anything. There you go. He was a safe person. He was a safe person. And I didn't have anybody else in my life. And Chuck, for a year, we met every week. He took me through the 12 steps. And I began to realize these are biblical principles. Mm -hmm. And I began to pour the stuff out. And I realized I hated my father because he cheated me out of a childhood. Mm. I hated him. So I did love Jesus, but I had some woundedness and some pain that needed to be healed. And I think that a lot of times what, what we, we do is we go along in church and we've got this perfect couple and they look perfect and he's maybe a deacon or an elder, she's a Sunday school teacher, and they're the perfect couple. Everybody just thinks, man, they've got it all together and then one day they get divorced. Mm-hmm. And everybody goes, well, what happened? I thought they loved Jesus. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, they loved Jesus, but maybe he was a closet alcoholic. Maybe she had been sexually abused. And the church wasn't a safe place for either one of them to unpack that. Right. And so they're living the Sunday life, but behind the scenes, there's a whole other reality going on. And it's, it's a sad thing that that has to happen before maybe individually now because their lives have been, their marriage has been destroyed and family, they go out and get help individually. Hmm. Wouldn't it have been wonderful if the church had been a safe place for that elder or for that Sunday school teacher to say, you know what? We got some problems. I'm struggling. I'm struggling. Yeah. I need help. Yeah. And, that was going to be uh, my comment on there's another lie. And that is that the women in our church don't need that. Oh yeah, I've and, heard that from pastors, and that I look at them and I go, "Are you crazy?" Yeah, they they, <laughs> they come and and they're they're dressed appropriately, and they're they've got oh, yeah. two kids in tow, and they're nice Gucci purses, and it, it's like they're they're they look normal. Oh gosh, talk to us about how prevalent sexual abuse among women actually is. How many of those women that are sitting there with those Gucci purses and two kids are really? Mm-hmm struggling because of old wounds that they've never unpacked. Well, getting statistics, uh, you know, a statistic will say anything you want it to if you torture it long enough. That's (laughs) that's what they kind of say. Mm -hmm. But one one of the things that I've understood in really interviewing professionals from every field, from the counseling field, from the social work field, even from the medical field in doing this series, is that statistics can't be nailed down on this issue. Mm Some will say two out of five, three out of five, one out of two, one out of ten. And they're all, they're all. It's according to what you're measuring. Yeah, it's according to what you're actually measuring. Mm -hmm. And so it's quite confusing when you're talking about how prevalent it is. But one thing they all will say is these are, these statistics are all a guess. 
because this is the most underreported crime in America. Yes. So we can only get statistics from those that we know. Mm -hmm. But we also know that the vast majority never told anybody. So if it's one out of three, one out of five, that's, that's horrible in itself. But that's but who reported it. That's just touching the hem of the garment. Mm -hmm. And so any pastor on any Sunday in any church, you start counting women down the row. Just think, well, say there's one out of five. Okay, we'll just do that. Every number one, stand up. That's how many. Maybe it's two out of five. We don't really know. But we do know that it's at epidemic proportions. Yes. And the church has got to be on the leading edge of this. For being a place where women can, can get help, hope, and healing, like we're beginning to do for men mm -hmm. in the area of sexual integrity, but there's so much pain and woundedness going on in God's people's hearts, mm -hmm. women who do love Jesus right, and are was, dying on the vine. I was going to say, I want to come back around to that concept because at my Women at the Well workshops, I always tell your story that you wrote about in the Refuge book about how there's two different ceilings that we have in mm -hmm. life, the spiritual ceiling and the emotional ceiling. So you told us a little bit about the spiritual ceiling of you did love Jesus, mm -hmm. you, you were praying, you were tithing, you were meditating. Talk to us about that emotional ceiling and how those two compare to one another. Well, this was something that I began to discover after I'd entered into the healing experience and I began to look at what had happened in my life. And what happened in my life was I began to find that as I was healing emotionally, and really understanding that this was emotional woundedness that needed healing. I needed to do some forgiving. I need to unpack the woundedness and the pain and the, and the anger that I had from a lost childhood. Um, was that as I began to do that, I saw two things happen. That my relationship with my Heavenly Father began to move to levels of intimacy that I'd not had before. Yes, I love Jesus. I was thankful to Jesus for dying on the cross. Yes, I studied the scripture. Yes, I translated the entire New Testament from Greek to English. And, wow. and I, but there was, there was a lack of intimacy in that relationship. It was a lot of doing and thankfulness for His grace. But there was just a, some... It was a master-servant relationship. Yeah, I didn't really understand intimacy. Mm -hmm. and, but when I began the emotional healing, I began to see that intimacy move deeper. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't even working on my spiritual life. I was trying to work on emotional healing. But I also began to discover my ability to open up with people on a more emotionally intimate level happened with my, with my wife, with my children, with church members. I wasn't near as guarded. And I went, this has got to be in God's Word somewhere because <laughs> I do believe all truth is God's truth. Mm -hmm. So I began to go back to the Scripture and I began to discover what I came to call the emotional spiritual principle. Mm -hmm. And that simply says you can never be more spiritually mature than you are emotionally mature. Mm -hmm. And by maturity, historically we've defined spiritual maturity by how much scripture you know, how many times you're in the church house. But maturity is really about an enlarged capacity for something. Mm -hmm. Something grows in maturity as it enlarges in its capacity. A, a baby is born and it matures into a full-grown human being. So its capacity has enlarged. Spiritual maturity is not based on how much scripture you know. Spiritual maturity is how much capacity you have for an intimate relationship with the Father. There you go. Because that's what He created us for. Mm -hmm. So these two are connected in the scripture. Mm -hmm. That the Father will not, we cannot enter into a deeper 
intimacy with the Father than we are capable of entering into with people. And though that vertical and horizontal are always connected in the Scripture. Why do you say you love God whom you've never seen when you hate your brother whom you have? You're a liar. The truth is not in you. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's pretty clear right there. Mm -hmm. And we could spend hours now talking about the biblical evidence of this principle that I had begun to see. But I mean, I had an earned doctor's degree and I've never seen that connection really fully in Scripture. Mm -hmm. That our emotional woundedness that prevents our emotional development, which is in the area of the capacity for intimacy. Okay, so we have a lot of 50-year-old Christians that are running around with the capacity for intimate relationships at the level of a junior high boy. Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, but yet they tithe and they're teaching oh, Bible studies. And there may be an elder in the church. Yeah. But they're, they're but they're doing the things. But if you really got them in the moment of honesty, they would probably admit to you there's not really a lot of this sense of this daddy relationship mm -hmm. crawling up in the father's Abba father. Abba father relationship. And when they began to experience this healing here emotionally, and these relationships here began to open up, then this whole thing with the father begins to go because you've raised the ceiling. Right. So your, 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 your emotional, your spiritual maturity, capacity for intimacy with him, it's never going to outstrip your emotional maturity. So oftentimes in the church, what we're talking about is all of this spiritual maturity, spiritual maturity, and we're not dealing with the wounds that are getting in the way. Mm -hmm. Let me give you another illustration. The scripture says that sin grieves the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. Well, we all know that things that come out in our lives from woundedness, from being abused or when someone has hurt us, what are the things that result in the heart of a Christian, of a human being? Anger, bitterness, bitterness mm -hmm. resentment, unforgiveness, all those things. Now, what does the Scripture call those? The Scripture calls those sin. Mm. And what does sin do to the indwelling Holy Spirit? It grieves the indwelling Holy Spirit. This Holy Spirit is the very means by which we are able to enter into a, a capacity of intimacy. But if the Holy Spirit is grieved mm. because I am holding on to this bitterness and this anger and this, and for unforgiveness, then it is limiting my capacity for intimacy with my Heavenly Father. Mm -hmm. So when I get rid of that, when I begin the healing process and I forgive that person that hurt me, and I release that bitterness and that anger, not only do my horizontal relationships get better, but then the Spirit of God is no longer being grieved Your by that. Your vertical relationship. And that vertical hurts. relationship just be able, is able to go to a whole different area. So there's a whole new area of ministry for churches, to, for the, the body of Jesus to understand today that we've got to quit saying, just love Jesus more and your life's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. Because it's not about loving Jesus always. Yeah. A lot of times it is about real life woundedness that Jesus wants to heal. Mm -hmm. He's the great physician. He, he needs heals. a hospital. Yeah. <laughs> the church. Exactly. The church should be the hospital. And God uses other people yes. to bring about our healing. Always. We do not heal in isolation. Never. I love that passage about confess your sins one to another that you may be healed. Mm. It doesn't say you have to confess them to the whole world, but you need to get yep. honest and real with at least one or two people, Absolutely. maybe a small support group. So I love the work that you're doing in trying to open the church's eyes that female sexuality is an important topic mm -hmm. that women who've been sexually abused are deserving of their own attention and focus. 
talk to us a little bit about um, how sexual abuse impacts a woman's sexual confidence. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is going to be where the cliffhanger happens, where you will have to tune in to the next episode to hear James's answer to that question of how has previous sexual abuse often impacted a woman's sexual confidence. He also is going to have great advice for ladies who are looking to overcome that kind of trauma in their past. He's going to have great advice for the men who are married to women who have been previously sexually abused. Plus, I'm also going to start off the episode with a little bit about my history of sexual abuse and how that laid the groundwork for my sexual addiction, but it also laid the groundwork for this ministry and for the healing that's taken place in my life. So I've definitely learned to rejoice in that suffering. Well, before we sign off, I want to remind you that we would love to hear from you, your comments, your kudos, your questions, your suggestions for future topics. And most of all, we want to hear your stories of how sexual confidence on tap is impacting your life. So you can either email us at ontap at shannonethridge.com or you can leave us up to a three-minute voice message at 321-30-ON-TAP. Again, it's 321-30-O-N-T-A-P. So we want to thank you for tuning in. As always, we love you for listening, and thank you for tapping on us. <laughs>